Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And a very good <clears throat> boy howdy to you on a Saturday. <clears throat> Lost my voice there for a minute. Harry Alexander and Bunker to France, it is time for another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Lawyers, I don't got to watch no stinking <clears throat> lawyers on TV. Come on, cowboys. <clears throat> I think a bugle got stuck in the throat there. We were munching on stuff beforehand. Well, you know, this is kind of interesting, Harry. This is kind of our night before Christmas show, except it's 11 days yet. That's okay. Who's counting? I'm not counting. I'm just pointing that out, you know. Because this, this is, you know, this... This is a great time of year. We were talking before we started. I was down at the Empire Ranch today. They have, they have cowboy Christmas down there every year. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you. That's my favorite Christmas thing to do. There's just something about that house when it's decorated out. Well, talk to us talk to us about Cowboy Christmas, how it was. Well, you know, it starts early in the morning. Actually, it starts a couple of days before. Uh, we have the, I guess you'd call it the, the Christmas connoisseur of cowboy uh, customs. But that's Sally Pine. And her and her troop of elves... They, I don't know where they get all this stuff, and I think most of it's hers, but they got some of the neatest stuff, you know, old-timey Christmas decorations and stuff like that. And now you got to bear in mind now, this is a 22-room ranch house, and that's not counting the Huachuca house, which is a kind of the headquarters and gift shop and everything across from that. Mm-hmm. So there's like... But they got the even the porches decorated. They got you every little nick and cranny. You peek in a closet and there's something there. Wow. It is just so cool. And they had cookies. Of course. And coffee. Of course. All kinds of snackers and vendors. How was the turnout? Pardon? How was the turnout? Uh I was pretty much uh, limited, but from what I saw, it looked like they they did as good as last year, maybe better, mm-hmm. and we had a heck of a turnout last year. I know that. Well, you know, everybody. Oh, and Bill Gans was down there playing Excellent. playing uh, Western music, Christmas cowboy music. Lots of people, not everybody, but and I correct myself, but lots of people do celebrate Christmas, and the cowboy was no exception. Even if the cowboy was on the range, there is some idea of what the day is and seasons and they that kind a of a thing. Of so let's talk about that. How okay. about that history of uh, well, would you cow- like cowboy to go Christmas? into that little piece of information <clears throat> <clears throat> there? <clears throat> Let me uh, get the big boy radio voice going here. <clears throat> yeah, he's putting his finger by his ear here, kind of like Edward R. Murrow or <laughs> Gary Owens from somebody. All right. Most his where does this come from? Uh, it came from me. Okay, I know, but this... Or did I get it? I, <laughs> Who knows? You know, I, I, I squirreled it from somewhere. Okay. Uh, source unknown. Most Hispanic and Anglo-Westerners made some attempt to celebrate Christmas. Among the nearly essential elements of Christmas celebration were a tree, often of a piece of sagebrush, a cottonwood, or even tumbleweed in plains areas where there were few evergreen trees, and there were some gifts. Holiday, turn page, holiday tree decorations included cranberries and popcorn strung together, pieces of colored paper or ribbon and candles. Now, the candles were placed in uh, tin holders and lit only under constant supervision, supervision as they could easily start a fire. And that still happens today. People don't pay attention to that stuff. And that's with electric lights. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Practical and only uh, practical homemade items like knitted socks, scarves, and mittens uh, found their way into Christmas packages or onto tree branches, as did food items such as apples, oranges, canned fruits, and candy like taffy or popcorn balls. Little girls got rag dolls and miniature quilts. Boys got tops or toys carved from locally available wood. I used to know this guy, good old boy from North Carolina, who uh, used to make toys yeah and he he would just sit there and carve them away and and make them up and wow That's, that is so neat you know? <clears throat> yeah and it's 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 more it's more personal than going down and getting something made in china it is and, and you know putting this, these kinds of things on on the tree like popcorn balls mm-hmm. and 
fruit and things like that. That makes it, a, I think, a lot more personal. You know what is so neat, because when you were reading that, I was thinking that when I was a kid back in back in school, and this is just right after World War II, uh, we'd do the, the little, you know, it was crafts in the school, and, but we would make these little paper rings, yeah, and, you know, yeah. with, with the with the flower paste, sure. put them together, string them up, uh, you know. Make your own tinsel. The popcorn balls and stuff, that was done at home, mm-hmm. stringing popcorn. Mm-hmm. But I can remember family sitting around, my aunts, because we, way we grew up was, was, you know, New Mexico, West Texas style. Mm-hmm. You know, you just wasn't one family there. We had people that would come, and, come to stay for a week and be there two years. Yeah. I, that was just friends. I, I used to work with this uh, young woman who, uh, of Hispanic and Indian descent, and uh, she invited me to their house one Christmas to uh, make tamales. Oh, how cool. With her and her sisters and mother. Because yeah, I love to cook. Mm-hmm. And so they taught me how to make tamales. And, oh, my God, it was so, so cool. So you're going to be bringing in Christmas tamales next show? Yeah, right. I don't okay. think so. Well, you know, this is the, it's kind of <laughs> interesting you mentioned that one thing about the, getting gifts and mm-hmm. stuff. Because just the other day, I was down here at the mall. And I'm standing there watching the, the store Santa with all the kids lined up. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking, and I see this ranch kid. Now, I know he's a ranch kid because, one, <clears throat> he's got on a cowboy hat. Mm-hmm. He's got on jeans that are stacked at the bottom and boots. <laughs> he got a big buckle on. And he walked past all them other kids, walked up to Santa, and kicked him in the shin. <laughs> And, and Santa goes, well, what did you do that for? And the kid said, that's for last year for them damn socks. <laughs> that's funny. Because Christmas represented the only time uh, all year when some people, both adults and children, received presents, the holiday did have an important place in the minds of each. Uh, some settlers seldom went to town, but they usually made at least one trip in anticipation of Christmas, buying new shoes, coats, or <laughs> other clothing necessities that also served as presents. Now, Western businessmen, therefore, catered to the demand, and as such, those in Georgetown, Colorado, where the miner reported in 1872. <clears throat> <clears throat> Got to get the voice again. You want some water? Yeah, no, I'm good. Monty and Juanela, Juan, Juan, Juanela. Juanela, agents of Santa Claus in Georgetown, are preparing to fill orders for Christmas goods promptly and to the entire satisfaction of their customers. The innery old gentleman flashing all over the country with his capricious freight teams has crammed the large store of his favorite agents with turkeys and chickens gobbling and crackling to grace Christmas feasts. <laughs> and then uh, such quantities of vegetable, uh, vegetables, fruit confectionery, cake, and toys for little girls, blushing maidens, stately dames, little boys and old boys, as the jolly old elf has an exhibition at his headquarters at Monte and uh, at, at the the business place. And, and, uh, I'm just <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm say that. And, uh, is a, a sight entertaining and highly satisfactory to the inhabitants of the Silver Queen. That's just too cool. Juanella thanks you, Harry. That is just too cool. Mangling her name. And I, I hate to assassinate names, but uh, the, well, older, the older I get... Some, the, some words are assassinable. The, the older I get, the more it seems to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's some neat mm. things in there, too. You know, you look... You look cause what what it, it's talking about. Like, you know, here's the thing with uh, tumbleweeds. Mm-hmm. I can remember back in the... Oh, I guess I was, I was still like a freshman or, high, or, or sophomore in high school. And that year in Tucson, because Tucson, you remember, you, there was a time when we were plagued with tumbleweeds. Uh, yes, I remember I that very happened. well. I don't have that, but they used to be everywhere. People would go out and look for the, the biggest, roundest tumbleweed yeah. they could find. Yeah. And then they'd spray paint it silver. Yes. And put little Christmas balls on Or gold. Or gourds. Yeah. I've got a Christmas. I used to make Christmas gourds. Really? Yeah, I get you know the old eye screw. Yeah, I'd yeah. Screw it in yeah. But I get I'd go down and get the brightest red fingernail polish I could get, and I 
And I'd paint them up with that and put the screws in there, and I'd give them to people. I remember seeing, as you say, the the tumbleweeds being decorated. I remember seeing cactus being decorated. Uh, uh, Certainly the Palo Verde trees, because mistletoe is in those Mm -hmm. frequently. And, you know, and mesquite trees also decorated. uh, Acatillos, jumping choyas, all kinds of things that were decorated. You've got to be careful decorating those choyas. Well, that's why you got to jump. (laughs) like yesterday when we were out at White Stallion. Yes. Those saguaros. Yes. Now, this, the picture, these aren't just the one with the thing going out and two yeah. arms. These are the ones that got a, you know, half a dozen arms on yeah. it. And each arm. A hundred years old. <laughs> and yeah, oh, yeah. And each arm has a Santa Claus cap on it. That I, was so cool. I took a picture of that. That will be our Voices of the West oh, uh, Christmas card. Because that's one of our new sponsors. Yes, you're letting the cat out of the bag, are oh, you? Oh, okay. I did, he was not one of our new sponsors. He will be. I just said that to, to encourage something. That's right. Yes. <laughs> well, you, you know, speaking of Christmas, which we are, um, there was that down there at the ranch today, there was a mom down there, and I heard her, she's giving her boys some heck. Because apparently they had not cleaned their house up, their, their bedrooms up before they came over. Mm-hmm. So anyhow, she's telling them, she says, you look. I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to wear my ugliest Christmas sweater to school when I pick you up Monday. And then I'm probably going to break out and sing a whole bunch of Christmas carols while I'm there. I'm just going to embarrass and humiliate you. For how, all, how old all was your, the boy? Well, they were like, you know, third and fourth graders. Okay. But then they both, it's like me. Okay, we'll do, okay, okay, we'll do it. We'll clean our rooms. She looked over at me and says, it works every year. It does. Yeah. Well, until they get to be teenagers, but yeah. well, in that case, you, you lost them then. Yeah. Then you just you know you just put one of those radioactive signs on the door. Yeah. You know, hazardous yeah. there. Or... Keep out. Oh, question for you, Harry. Yes, sir. Now, what do you call a kid that doesn't believe in Santa? Anti Claus. Well, that's close. You call him a rebel without a cause. <laughs> Yeah. We're here I mean, all week. It was a funny thing because, you know, sitting down there, because, oh, by the way, just so you folks know what I was doing down there, I was doing corny jokes and reading cowboy Christmas poems mm-hmm. and some little story stuff and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And while I was actually, I'm also listening in on what the people were saying. And there was this cowboy and his wife there, and they were they were talking back and forth about their Christmas gifts and how they always exchange gifts every year. Mm-hmm. He changes what she gives him, and she exchanges what he gives her. <laughs> it yeah, works. It's, just, it's wonderful, See, right? It works. Yeah. Lots of things work for those folks. <laughs> well, because, you know, you know about the ghost of Christmas past, right? Yes. You know about the ghost of Christmas present. I do. And you know about the ghost of Christmas future. I've heard the story. Well, do you know about the ghost of starting Christmas too early, also known as Black Friday? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. That's 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 a downer. Yeah, it is. It is. And then there's Cyber Cyber Monday. And then there's followed up by Giving Tuesday. You know, they're all just days to me. <laughs> they're all money to merchants. I don't need a special day to tell me when to buy something. No. You know, it's, hey, two. I wait. I see. I waited. Cyber Friday, uh, Super Friday, whatever it is. I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Black Friday. Sunday, I didn't do anything. Monday, I didn't do anything. Tuesday, I did all my shopping at one time. Because I, I, I do mail order stuff. Because yeah. really, all the yeah. people I know are out of town, all yeah. my relatives. Yeah. And I got their stuff done, and I got a call from my cousin yesterday. He already got this stuff, you mm-hmm. know. And, mm-hmm. and it, you know, it's why why torture yourself? I don't know. I, our Christmas shopping is all completed uh, for the kids and grandkids. Yeah. And uh, for us, nah, I don't know what we're going to do. Yeah. Well, so much to me, Christmas isn't about gifts. It's about it's about friends and family it and is. visiting. It is. It is. Yeah. Uh, we'll probably go over to uh, our son's place. And he usually makes a Christmas brunch uh, before he goes to work. Uh, my daughter will be working. I know that. Um, she's she works, works, works all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny, but. My favorite Christmas, and I, 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 you know, it was with me, my mom, that was her favorite, that was the biggest thing, 
except for a couple of years when I was in the Navy, out in the Pacific, uh, and couldn't go home. Mm -hmm. I've never missed a Christmas with my mom because mm -hmm. it meant so much to her. Mm -hmm. I would quit a job if I had to, mm -hmm. if they wouldn't let me off. You know, and I wouldn't go home just for a couple of days. I'd go home for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And again, you know, that was just so special, or it meant so much to my mom. And my mom would, go, she loved decorating the Christmas tree. She would not <laughs> let anybody else near it. Really, literally, she'd she'd throw you out of the house. My mother did that also. Uh, did the Christmas tree? Did all the bacon? And oh yeah, all the cooking. We we didn't. Uh, my dad was not into hanging up stuff outside, so we never had any. Of that stuff, um, but <clears throat> my most memorable Christmas, I think I was either four or five years old. We were still living in Illinois at the time, and I don't even remember if it was in fact Christmas Eve or not. But knock on the door, my folks go to get it, and there's Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Santa Claus at the door. Wow, we didn't have a chimney, um, so he comes in. Gives me this big old box. It's Whoa. a giant present of some sort. And so, you know, four Wrong or five. House. Four, you know, oh. <laughs> four or five years old, you know, you're, yeah. you're scrambling, 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 and get all excited about it. Rip open the papers, and it is a, a Fort Apache with cowboys and Indians. I remember that. And uh, the soldiers. The little with the tin, tin buildings? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you you built the fort. The little plastic cowboys yep, yep, and yep. plastic Indians. <laughs> put, they'd get on the horse and you could take them off and walk. I know, I know, I know. It's it, awesome. You know, yeah, that was, that, that's yeah. a very memorable Christmas for me. The yeah. other memorable Christmas for me was uh, 19, when was that? 1983 or four. Uh, or five when it snowed on oh, Christmas here in Eve. Yeah. yeah, snowed on Christmas Eve. I was out Eve. here that year, and uh, uh, I I just thought that was that was so cool because I had never, I, not that I could remember anyway, be in a spot place where it snowed on Christmas. Yeah, and, I mean I lived in Alaska too. Um, <laughs> when, hello, when snow, it snow yeah. on Christmas. Uh, so that was quite memorable, but I made a buttload of money uh, doing a reporting job. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because I, I never did get to what my favorite Christmas is. Please tell us. And an old well, the guy I worked with him on High Chaparral, uh, Jack Lilly. He uh, stood in and photo doubled and stunt doubled for Life Erickson. Mm -hmm. And after I moved out to California, it was I, I, I had moved out like you know, in August or something. Well, I'd go up to Jack's place up in Newhall every once in a while, up through my Saugus, actually. Because he, he's also, he also furnished uh, livestock for the movies. Mm -hmm. In fact, he, at one time, I think he's one of the biggest suppliers. Uh, his son Clay is doing it now. Jack's still active, and, and he's no kid. But Jack invited me to go up to his one of his partners, one of the guys that helped supply a livestock for him. Mm -hmm. The guy lived up on the north side of the Grand San Gabriel Mountains up in that over mm -hmm. overlooking Antelope Valley. Mm -hmm. And so I said, Yeah, I'm not he said, no. he said, What are you doing? I said, Not doing nothing. I ain't no plans. He said, Well, why don't you go come with us as our guests? We're going up to my partners and have Christmas Christmas Day up there. Mm -hmm. I said, Well that's great. So you know, you imagine now we're we're in one of the old big pickups, you know, with the front seat and the mm -hmm, back seat. This mm -hmm. is one of the earliest ones, <clears throat> and we're going up there. And uh, Jack, his wife Irene, his two boys Berkey and Clay, and they're little guys. And and, and myself, we're all crammed in there, and we go up here. Mm -hmm. And this is a great drive. You go around, and it's we're getting there, and the light, the sun is going down, and you're driving up into the San Gabriel Forest up there with the trees. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it just there was something about it. You felt like you were going driving into yeah. the past. Yeah, yeah. And we got up there, get to the place, and the, the ranch house was sitting on the kind of overlooking the valley. And I mean, it looked like the past. Hmm. 
I mean, it really did. It was, you know, you you expected to see Charlie Russell sitting out on the porch <laughs> with a cup of coffee doing a sketch. And, you know, we get Looked up like there. a Rockwell drawing. Yeah, there. oh yeah. We get up there and go in, and those folks, I just, they, you know, because they, they're friends and partners, mm-hmm. they didn't know me, but they, you know, just like being a member of the family, yeah, yeah. The, the the Christmas tree was there. They had a fire going in the fireplace. They and I, if I remember right, they had like an old pot belly stove or wood stove mm-hmm. going too mm-hmm. but the lights were down so it was shadowy mm-hmm. you know and it just i can't explain it other than i never had a christmas experience that felt so much like i was immersed in christmas yeah and that that's always a, a wonderful feeling we got to do our first break Let's here break it. and when we come back uh, maybe some christmas poetry cowboy poetry Oh, that might be arranged. All right, we'll see what we can do about that. We'll be back with much more of Amo Franzi's Voices of the West right after these messages. Stay tuned. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year, we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, friends. This is Laura Darnell, the host of Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. Each episode will cover a person, place, or event from Kansas City's history. Homegrown KC can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For additional information about the show, please visit my website, homegrownkc.wordpress.com. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Yes, indeed. Hey, quick straw. Quick straw. Quick straw. <laughs> you know, it, it, before I do the poem, I just, that kind of reminded me of one of my earliest Christmases. Yep. One of my earliest Christmas re- memories. You know, it was, it was real early. I was still up. And so, there I am sitting there. And guess what? What? Here comes Santa down the chimney. It's what? Like his first stop on his round the world tour. Whoa! And I'm going. This is cool. I'm watching him being quiet as a church mouse. Mm-hmm. He gets down there, sets his bag down, opens it up. His eyeballs get as big as saucers. He goes, Jeepers! I brought my garbage bag. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go back home and start all over. And so you got garbage for Christmas presents. <laughs> okay. It, it, better, than, better than getting coal, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hey, if you're freezing in the wintertime, I'd rather get the cold. There you go. If I can't eat it, I want to burn it. <laughs> okay. This is this little rascal is called Old Fashioned Christmas. A uh, lady named Elizabeth Weaver Winstead uh, penned it. Okay. 
Let's have an old-fashioned Christmas. What a day of delight it'll be. Hanging wreaths of spruce and cedar. Bringing home the fresh green tree. Candlelight shines by each window. Sprigs of holly on mantel and door. Spicy sweet smell of gingerbread cookies. Pies and puddings baked by the score. Bright sleds skim frozen hilltops. Velvet snowflakes and radiance beam. Ice skaters glide like quicksilver in the moonlight's golden gleam. Make it an old-fashioned Christmas. May each waiting heart feel the glow that grows with the ringing of sleigh bells drifting over the soft silvered snow. Nice. It is nice. It's a nice little sweet Christmas sentiment here. Yeah. Shall I do this one here? Yeah, do that. This is a little article here about uh, Christmas in early Tucson. And since we're coming to you from the the Paul Lash Studios in Tucson, Arizona, it is appropriate that we read this. Most settlements worldwide celebrated the winter solstice with some kind of event that frequently included lights, food, a party, and perhaps a religious ceremony. Everyone looked forward to the new growing season when food would again be abundant. Gifts were exchanged. Games were played. Debts were forgiven. (laughs) Back then. (laughs) Uh, Dancing and music were common. Fireplaces were cleaned. And a new fire started. A new year was beginning. When the Spanish arrived in Tucson in the early 1600s, the Tohono O'odham were the people living here. Uh, the Tohono O'odham still carry memories of the early winter solstice celebrations of their people. They celebrated by traveling to other villages where they played games, had contests, gambled, danced, ate, visited with family and friends, found new loves, and all the other fun things we do when we celebrate. And one of their, one of their common gambling games was the stick game. In 1687, Father Kino arrived. He used the Christmas story along with pictures to teach the Tohono O'odham about Christianity. He staged musical events using ringing bells, the harp and guitar, as well as other instruments. Father Kino was known for respecting the practices of the natives and did not complain when any native customs were incorporated in church ceremonies. Therefore, Christmas became the time to both celebrate the birth of Christ and the winter solstice, as it had been celebrated for as long as anyone could remember. St. Avier was established as the mission in 1692 by Father Kino, at which time it was just a small building. The Presidio of Tucson was established in 1776. In 1860s, Tucson had a population of about 600 people. A hundred of those were the uh, Anglos. The rest of them were Spanish Gringos. and uh, Indian. Um, at the Spanish ranches, there were huge dinners to celebrate the day. I remember on an episode of High Chaparral, it wasn't Christmas, but it was Thanksgiving yes. when they had all the Indians out there and the ten Two turkeys. little Indians. <laughs> it was a great episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where was I? Come on, come on, come on. There we go. Uh, they decorated trees, tumbleweeds, creosote branches, or whatever they had with popcorn, paper ornaments, ribbons, and ornaments made from tin. Now, the menu included roast fowl, egg noodles, mashed potatoes, and home canned vegetables. Fruits were put in the stockings. There was singing, dancing, horse racing, baseball games, circuses, and bullfights. The turkeys were boiled. In Tucson in 1867, it was the custom to have eggnog in the morning, dinners at noon, and a grand ball at 8 p.m. Shoes were put out for the gifts from the Magi on Epiphany, January 6th. Many of the early Tucson settlers were Jews. Uh, The celebration of Hanukkah, also called the Festival of Lights, falls near that winter solstice. It is a memorial to the miracle. The celebration lasts for eight days with the lighting of a candle each day. In early Tucson, gifts were exchanged, fried foods eaten, games played with the dreidel, songs were sung, and prayers were said. In the late 1870s, the first Christmas tree arrived in Tucson. It was a community tree, and Santa was there to pass out gifts. (coughs) Pardon me. Santa was played by William Zeckendorf, a Jewish merchant. There was a band in a wagon going door to door and serenading the homes. 
1938, La Posadas was the first, or Las Posadas was the first, was first performed by Carrillo School, and the tradition carries on today. In 1916, it actually snowed on Christmas Day, leaving several inches on the ground. Snowball fights were big that year. You know, that's that is a nice little capsule history of Tucson. It is. Yeah. And it's like I love some of the things in there because it repeated some of the stuff in the other piece you read about how they went about it. But one of the pieces I really liked was now you can imagine a flatbed hay wagon, you Mm -hmm. know, what you'd stack bales on Mm -hmm. whatever. With a bunch of bunch of cowboy fiddlers up there fiddling and singing and stomping their feet and just who are all having the fun going around, stopping in front of people's homes probably waking them up and them coming out there you know with their with their bed clothes and just loving it traditional christmas music of that day was probably the usual um religious tunes i, I, I because there were well, there was no well, uh, there was no santa claus is coming to town I'm, or, I'm or any of that because you th- if you think about it there was you know depending like once you got into uh, the early 1900s, you had people like Stephen Foster and like that. That, and there was there was and you know and like well think of Dickens in his period and Christmas caroling. Mm-hmm. There was a whole there were the, like you know deck the halls and and Deste fideles and all those all the old classic Christmas songs. You know the yeah. kind Dean Crosby used to sing. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find it here and not looking. Well, while you're doing seeing. that, do you know what is red and white? Red and white and red and white. Red and white and red and white. I know it's a terrible Christmas joke, and I'm sure it involves reindeer, but no. Well, it's Santa falling off a snow-colored <laughs> roof. <laughs> ah, difference. You must have known those when you were uh, you got a lot 12. Of a lot of free time. <laughs> 10, 12 years old, and the memories stick with well, you. you know, That's all that sticks with you. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Now... now this is this is a test for our listening audience. Okay. And this is how you know that Christmas is special for sure. Okay. Because what other time of year do you sit in front of a dead tree and eat candy out of your socks? No picture, you know, the easy chair, the old soft roll. Yeah, slippers, I'm, I'm thinking it. Thinking fire about. crackling in the fireplace. Yeah, it's the only time. Dead tree. Only time. Yeah, I mean, that's that's Christmas. I like it. I like now, it. let's move a little further up into <laughs> modern times. Do you want to do that not, now? Not or? modern, modern, but, you know, in our early days. Do you want to do that, or should we take a break first? We can well, let's take a break. All right, we'll take our, break our second break here. Christmas and then, time is about breaking There things. you go. And uh, we'll be back with much more of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West right after these very, very important messages. Do stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Polash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Polash Management company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company. Managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. He recently served two tours in Afghanistan, where he received a bronze star for heroism and a purple heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service, and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. 
Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the audio be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, and that's a wrap. You hit Red Gap just in time to see the end of another attempt to establish law and order. I'm going over to the jail and take over. There goes the one man that'll show the gun toters of Red Gap just where to get off at. It's the voices of the West. We're back on Emil Franzi's The Voices of the West, Harry Alexander and Bunker de France. Where did you come up with that jazzy version of the Chaparral theme? I've never heard that. That's because you never watched the show. Well, I was working. (laughs) No, that is is the ending to season four. Oh, okay. Well, you mean it ended? The the closing theme on on season four, (laughs) not the final. Well, (laughs) you know, I was just thinking... I think one of the neatest things we have right here in Arizona, I've never done it, and I want to do it someday, mm-hmm. is the Christmas train from uh, from Williams up to the Grand Canyon. Yes. You've done that, haven't you? Uh, not the Chris, not at Christmas time, but one of our friends from KG's Cafe mm-hmm. is uh, going up there uh, this coming week. And I guess that will be the Christmas train. Yeah. Uh, but it's the Christmas Express. You know? <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> I I have my son and I did take that train up to uh, uh, the Grand Canyon <laughs> when we I can't remember what season it was, but uh, when we left here to drive up to Williams, we're wearing shorts and T-shirts. Okay, mm-hmm. we got to Williams a little not chilly but cool. <laughs> we get up to the Grand Canyon and it's freaking snowing <laughs> did you ride up on the open car yeah and oh, so it, your uh, we did and and uh, so here we are in, in shorts and t-shirts uh <laughs> in the snow and wondering I thought you were from wisconsin yeah <clears throat> well when i came home from alaska that at christmas time uh <clears throat> i was running around in bisbee in shorts and t-shirts yeah. at 50, 50 40 degrees because that was warm. Mm-hmm. I'd be acclimated to the Alaskan climate of 50 below zero. I mean, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, getting in the spirit of the season, I got a couple of TV shows that are Christmas themed, West TV westerns. Okay. And I just kind of graze through them. Okay. Stubby Pringles Christmas. That's a story by Jack Schaefer. And that was done by Bo Bridges when Bo Bridges was. 
still a teenager or just barely not a teenager. Hmm. A little half hour black and white thing. Mm -hmm. And that has always been my favorite episodic TV. It, it, well, it, wasn't, it was a one-time show, but mm -hmm. it was just so cowboy. And I wasn't used to seeing Western stuff on TV that was like real cowboys because it's Sonny Pringles, this cowboy in a line shack all by himself at Christmas. And it's just his half hour of his Christmas experience. And it was stubby. What, what, what was it? Stubby? Stubby Pringles Christmas. Pringles. Now, the other one, and this was a great one. It was a Restless Gun TV episode. Uh, John John Payne, the star, actually wrote the script for it. Okay. Yeah, that was a good one. And then this is one of my favorites, too. It was a Have Gun, Will Travel episode called Bethlehem, Texas. And uh, a guy I worked with and a good friend of mine, uh, Erwin Neal, Hal Needham, Bill Hart, Ed Faulkner, Rory Barcroft. And this was Paladin with a Christmas baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other, the other one was The Tall Man with Barry Sullivan and Clue Guler, and it was called Billy's Baby. And mm. it was another Christmas baby episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, speaking of babies, we've got a, peeps, a piece here called yeah, go for it. Uh, His Mars Marvelous His Marvelous Birth. The angels are singing, it's a glorious night. The shepherds beholding an awesome sight. The magi are traveling, following a star, not knowing their destination or where they are. All to behold the baby king, born in a stall, his love to us bring. Come all ye people who inhabit the earth, fall on your knees and shout glory for his marvelous birth. It's from uh, Doña M. Maroney. That's a nice poem. Yeah. Well, I got another little poem here called Between Friends by a lady named Sandra Bell Lundy. And when it starts out, it's going to sound very familiar. Okay. But don't trust me because it's not. <laughs> it was the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was staring, not even a mouse. They were all roaming the corridors throughout yonder mall, panic shopping for gifts at each kiosk and stall. Snap up that sweater. Grab the golf tees. At this point, no matter, just gift wrap it, please. <laughs> on Visa, on Debit, on American <laughs> Express. Use anyone, they're all under duress. <laughs> and there, in a twinkle, I came to my senses. This wrangling for gift just seemed so pretentious. The true spirit of Christmas was not in the mall. It was something else more simple and quiet and small. Being with family and loved ones who care, experiencing the warmth and security they share. These are the things no kiosk can provide. A true heart is what makes us happy inside. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a uh, piece uh, Twas the night before Christmas when I was in the army, and it was done in military style. Okay. So uh, you remember? Uh, did you guys have uh, uh, what they we call DFs, disposition forms? Did you have those in the Navy? What's that? Disposition forms, DF. We had all kinds of disposition in the Navy. Well, yeah. I don't know if we anyway, we had all kinds of forms. Th this was kind of this was like the the official memo form, the DF. Right. And uh, it, basically, it was a request for all of these, <laughs> all of these items: the the reindeer and all of this. I don't, I don't have it committed to memory, and I, mm -hmm. I have to find it. I know I still have it. It it's it's tongue in cheek, obviously. Well, speaking of, I I almost forgot, but <clears throat> as you know, I have a one poem I do every Christmas now that's traditional with that's me. That's right. Because it's it's a poem I Christmas poem I wrote, mm -hmm. and I think it may be one of the shortest Christmas poems in the world. Are you ready? Go for it. Aho, no snow. Now I told this to a lady down at the ranch today, and she said, "Well, wait a minute. <laughs> My poem is just as short." What? And I said, "Really? What is it?" Miniature ponies. Why? <laughs> I mean, she had me. 
All my bragging was, you know, I can't do it anymore. I can do the poem, but I can't brag. Yeah, you can still brag. Yeah. Well, you know, and then also, you know, this being the time of year when we should be thinking of festivities and, and foolishness and frolicking, we still got our politicians in Washington mucking things up. Well, now, always happening. Congress is going to be going home real soon. Thank can God. you think of a Christmas present that can beat that? <laughs> no, I can't. Yeah, no, yeah. I can't. You know, you talk about the frolicking and, and such, and our, our our dear departed pard, Joe Dreyfus, uh, always had uh, fun at Christmas time. <laughs> with I remember his story of when he shot Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> and the daughter just went went nuts <laughs> over that, but... I mean, he, he, oh. he, he it was deer season, and, you know, he did not, re- we'll, we'll clear the air, he did not shoot Rudolph, <laughs> he just disguised his trophy as Rudolph. <laughs> that reminds me of Joe Dreyfus's great <clears throat> story, it's just like, just like that, you know, it's like, uh, he goes off elk hunting every year. He went. Yep. He was, that was like you know. No matter what else was happening in the world, elk season. He's gone. Joe would. Do, he would do the show. Yep. You know. He'd call but he in. would do it from. He'd call it in from yep. on a cell phone on top of a ridge hanging off a piece of pine. Yep. Pinion pine hanging yep. over a cliff. Yep. To commit the collection. Yep. And he would talk about the thing. But one of his great stories was. He's going off, and he and he told the kid his daughters. He says, "I'm gonna, says, I'm gonna get Rudolph for Christmas." <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, and they go, "Oh, daddy!" <laughs> so he gets his elk. <laughs> he's coming home, and just before he gets to the house, he stops. He's got a red bandana in his back pocket, so he wraps it, it around there. the nose. <laughs> he drives up to the house, honks the horns. The kids come out, come running out, and he hollers, "Hey, kids! I got Rudolph." <laughs> He wasn't ha- he wasn't a happy Christmas for Joe for a couple of days, a couple of years, yeah. because the <laughs> yeah, girls the girls reminded still, yeah. him so yeah. much of that. We got to do our final break here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're doing uh, little Christmas things here and there, some poetry, cowboy poetry, talking about cowboy Christmas. We'll be back right after these important messages. Don't go away. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, five stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Old Western Radio Theater every Saturday at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time only on the Voices of the West. B.O.W. Radio. I'm just a tumbleweed cowboy. A cloud is the roof for my head. I rock along in the saddle all day. Can't get enough of Ray Wetley there. That's a great one. I love that one. (laughs) That is just so good. Tumbleweed Cowboy there. Tumbleweed Cowboy. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France. This is Emil uh, Franzi's Voices of the West. 
of the Christmas West. Of the Christmas West. This yeah. is uh, our show for the 14th of December. Um, <clears throat> coming up next week, we'll be... Um, We'll be talking with Chris Enns, Western Writers of America author, on her latest book about Big Nose Kate. She yeah. was the uh, she was the main squeeze for Doc uh, Doc Holiday. And there's, I tell you, Chris is, Chris is something else because she has made I won't say made a career, but she has made a real mark for herself. Uh, writing about the women of the West. Yes, she has. You know, yeah. she did a book on the women in yep. Pinkertons. Yep. Uh, you know, it just she's an amazing lady. She I, is. I've been delving into her as I do, <laughs> and I'm learning stuff about her. I just get more and more impressed every 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 page I turn. Yeah, she'll be with us uh, via telephone, and at that point uh, next Saturday, since it is the yeah. uh, Saturday before Christmas, as far as we're concerned, it's our, it's I, our Christmas. I will be, yes, I will be uh, uh, featuring some Christmas music then. Oh, okay. Gene Autry? Yeah, a little bit of that. Yeah. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Santa Claus. They see that. Things like that. Well, you want to do your poem there, and then I'll do one, and then we'll see what what time we got left. Well, this is called The Grinch by Seuss. By Seuss. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. And he puzzled three hours, till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought. Doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Yeah, nice. I'm not a big fan of Dr. Seuss because I think I think he spoiled parenting for the world, but that's just that's classic. Yeah, yeah. You know, spare the child and yes. spoil the world or something like yeah. that. Now, <clears throat> Christmas cowboy poetry would not be Christmas cowboy poetry without Baxter Black. That's what I understand. And he asked the question: How do you know it's Christmas? Well, this is his answer. So how do you know it's Christmas? Because the sheep can always tell. They follow a little tradition and have for quite a spell. On Christmas Eve around midnight, the sheep, wherever they are, all rise in quiet unison and fixate on the star. And from the stirring comes a sound, a chuckling tra-la-la, that weaves and builds itself into a soft, melodious bah, <laughs> which carries like a dove's lament when the nights are very still, and if they're calling, as if they're calling for someone beyond a yonder hill. The legend herders passed on down attributes this tradition to one late night in Bethlehem, a heavenly petition. Wherein a host of angels came and lured them with a song. The herders left in haste, they say, and stayed gone all night long. Well, sheep don't like and don't do well alone. They've never comprehended that on that night they waited up, the world was upended. So now when daylight shortens and nights get long and cold, I make my check at midnight, like we've done since days of old. And if I find the flock intent and standing all around, I listen for the heavenly host above their throaty sound, and scan the dim horizon in an effort to discern the sign the sheep are seeking that their shepherds will return. And I am but a watchman in this drama that replays around the earth this time of year, so I stand and gaze. And though I see no special star or hear no sweet Noel, I know it must be Christmas, because the sheep can always tell. There you go. Not nice. You know, with uh, <clears throat> the holiday season, uh, 
people like to name their towns after certain things, yes. right? There's holidays, holiday towns. Like, we got Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Uh, there's Silver Bell here and Silver Bell there and uh, all kinds of uh, places like that. In Arizona, we have a Santa Claus, right. Arizona. And, uh, you know, for decades, you could meet Santa all year long mm-hmm. at Santa Claus, Arizona. A tiny town in uh, near Kingman in the northwest corner of the state. It's on uh, U.S. Highway 93 as you're heading up to Las Vegas. How did this end up in Arizona? Well, you ask? Well, of course you did. In the oh. early 1930s, real estate agent uh, <laughs> Nanan Talbot and her husband moved to Kingman from California. They founded Santa Claus in 1937. The idea was to attract lion buyers to the area. Well, that didn't happen, by all accounts. Nobody ever bought land in the town, and the Talbots sold it in the late 1940s. But Santa Claus became a tourist destination anyway. Why did people go there, you wonder? For starters, there was a post office, which meant every December visitors could send their kids' letters postmarked from Santa Claus. There was also the Santa Claus Inn, later known as the Christmas Tree Inn, restaurant described as one of the finest in the region. And of course, visiting kids could meet Santa every day of the year. <coughs> the town's proximity to historic Route 66 helped keep it alive. Well, uh, wondering about if anyone famous ever visited. Duncan Hines, who knew a thing or two about good food, was a fan of the restaurant. Robert Heinlein, author of Starship Troopers and other sci-fi novels, wrote a short story about being served a gourmet meal by Mrs. Claus. And Jane Russell, the actress and muse of Howard Hughes, reportedly threw a party there in 1954. Ooh, party on. Well... As things go, the town also went. In the 1970s, business was dwindling, and the town was falling into disrepair. In the late 1980s, a visiting writer described padlocked, dilapidated buildings and a run-down gift shop. The last of Santa Claus's businesses closed in 1995. What's it like today, you wonder? It's slowly fading into the desert, as the land always recaptures its own. And that's along U.S. 93. As, as recently as February, uh, the property was still being offered for sale, but as you can see in a video uh, uh, that is available from through the Arizona Highways magazine website, uh, there's not much left of Santa Claus. Fortunately, there is a place in Indiana for those seeking that coveted <laughs> Santa Claus postmark. And you look at the, the photo here, uh, it is uh, the restaurant, the post office. Mm, I don't think there's a gas station there. Is Santa Claus frequent in those <clears throat> places back then? I may have, but there is a sign. I, I do. I, I've driven through it many a time. Uh, there is a sign that says "Welcome to Santa Claus." Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that's that's one of the <coughs> kind of cool things about Arizona. You got a town called Santa Claus, then you got a town west of here called Y. You know, it's like, I know. It's, I know. It's, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> well, you know, one last question for you, Eric. All We're right. running out of time, I know. All right. What is the best Christmas gift in the world? The very best. Hmm. Don't take too long now. We're, this is like Jeopardy. That's a good question. I've never really well, thought about that. Well, I'll tell you, Harry, because I happen to know. The best Christmas gift in the world is a broken drum. You can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that reminds me, I remember when my kids were growing up, they had to have all of those uh, neat things, mm-hmm. you know, that was advertised on TV, the the Skeletor and uh, yeah. Star uh, Star Star Wars stuff, and I can't even remember what my daughter was into. But uh, you know, I remember all of those things and putting those things together, uh, and then I remember all the noise that those things made. <laughs> well, good fun. Yeah. Well, grandparents' revenge. Yeah, <laughs> we we 
frequently buy presents for uh, number, yeah. <laughs> number three grandson that makes lots of noise. And my, Clanging monkey. Yeah, and yeah. my son just looks at us and You know saying, what's so funny? You know? <laughs> telling, that, telling that thing about broken drum, this is a true story. My stepdad, my second stepdad, he was a full-blooded Choctaw, one of the best linemen that ever existed. Mm -hmm. But when he was a kid, one Christmas, he got a drum for Christmas. Mm -hmm. Two days later, his uncle gave him a jackknife. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the drum was gone. Yeah, does that tell you something? <laughs> and on that note, we will say that's about it for this uh, edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Thank you so much for listening. 78, 79, and 80 Christmas O's. And adios and so long. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.